You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show, episode 104, Friday, April 29th, 2022. What's going on, Christina Dennis? Oh, you know, we're here celebrating Friday, Damon Frank. Love, love the Fridays. Can't love believe Fridays. that we're almost at May. Okay, so I have a question for you, Christina, before we dive in here to what I think is going to be possibly one of our most controversial episodes. <laughs> and it's going to be entertaining, too, which is which is always the case. Right. Uh, but I have to tell you, I look and I was like, it's the 29th. How yes. did April feel like it just flew by? Like it really did. Where it did really April did. go? I want my April back. <laughs> it was we were busy. We were very busy. And yes, it did feel like we were just filming April Fool's Day. And all of a sudden, here we are. Here we are, four weeks later. Crazy. You know, so much happened in April for us. You know, we were full steam with mm -hmm. going live uh, you know, three days a week. And and you know, so happy to announce. We're on our second week of adding the Recovered Life discussions to the podcast. So if you're watching this on YouTube YouTube Live or Facebook or Twitter Live or Instagram on a replay, definitely head over to the podcast because we've got those Recovered Life discussions running on the podcast exclusively and on Recovered Life. And that's been great. That's been, it's been so great for me because now, you know, look, we almost have seven days of recovery content a week. Really, really good. And and I'm so glad we added the discussions because amazing, amazing information comes out of that. But before we start on our segment, I want to let everybody know this show is being brought to you by recovered life contributors like me and people like you. Please like, share, follow, send us a comment. Um, also visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can join the network, which is completely free. Leave us a donation that allows us to keep doing the show. Uh, info.recoveredlife.us. Thank you so much for mentioning that, Christina. You know, any contribution helps a lot to help other people. That's what this is really about at the end of the day, right? So sure as, as fun as this is, you know, we know a lot of people are suffering from addiction. Yes. And having, uh, having been in recovery ourselves, Christina, for a long period of time, and then working with others in recovery, we know the freedom and the joy and the happiness that you can get if you obtain long-term sobriety. So that's the whole goal of this is like, how do you not only maintain great sobriety, but live your best recovered life. Cause it's not just about being sober, right? It's, it's it not isn't. just about that. It isn't. And I think the more we keep discussing it, I know that people are embracing this idea of sobriety, but they still don't have any idea how wonderful it is. So get into the community. I love being able to do this, you know, the show and the different things that we do with the recovered life discussions, because it saves people's lives, but it saves a life that can be lived then. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? I've I am uh I'm excited about this first segment. Um and you know, I've been waiting since we've done the recovered life show to do a segment on this. I have to, yes. I have to be honest with you because this is such a controversial topic and I've had long discussions with this with people uh, uh in long-term sobriety uh about what they would do if this situation popped up. And so let me just announce what it is. It's basically a drug to cure alcoholism. 
And yes. uh, we found this article in neuroscience And tell us a little bit about this, because I think when people see this headline, they're like, is this clickbait? But yes. no, it is clickbait a little well, bit, right? It is. It is. It's, you know, it's a scientific paper. So if you click to it, you may not, you know, get a lot of off of it, but it certainly brings uh, about this discussion. I mean, since I've been in recovery, which I will be celebrating May 6th, my 25th birthday, we have had these kinds of conversations. If I could take a pill, would I? And the article goes on to explain that there's this new type of drug that is uh, helping diminish a protein called font, I believe, font, um, and a lot of long names. But basically, they are testing it as a new type of drug with the anxiety medication that's out there for people. And what they have discovered is that it prevents the brain, the body from methylating alcohol. And so it's not a pill to drink like a typical person. You know, that's not exactly what it is, but it is something that people can take as they continue to do the research that will allow people not to become intoxicated. And I'm just curious about what is the point? You know, I mean, I don't think people who need to take this drug will take this drug. Maybe some will. But what is the point of drinking alcohol if not for the effect? Well, there's a couple things in this, and I think we need to break this down okay. because the people who are listening, you know, they're usually, you know, two to three camps. They're you know, in recovery like we are, or they're thinking about getting into recovery, right. whether an alco active alcoholic or drug addict or, you know, a codependent or anything that we cover and talk about here. They're listening to the show and kind of making that decision. And then there's the people around everybody that suffers from addiction, the families <laughs> and all the stuff. Yes. I think this comes down, and I want to talk about this in a little bit, the interpretation of what you think alcoholism is. Because right. I think... The way that I interpret alcoholism, I don't ever see how there could be a cure. If you look at alcoholism as purely drinking, physically yes. drinking or amount of alcohol, I think that's what these people are saying. And look, this is nothing new. And abuse has been around for quite some time. Uh, I never gentler. was on an abuse. It's gentler well, though. You well, won't get violently ill. Yes, this is gentler, yeah, uh -huh. than an abuse because an abuse is like, you know, I don't know, I, I don't, I, I have mixed feelings about that because, you know, people on an abuse are being tortured by the mental side of alcoholism, right. and then yet physically drinking and then getting sick. It's almost like beating a dog in the way, you know, <laughs> to try to train them. It's like there's better ways. Right. There so is. And you're right. There's no freedom if um, you take antibodies, at least from my perspective. It's, you know, and, and this is no disrespect to anybody who used it as an aid to get sober. But I think it's not a long term plan. It really doesn't, you know, help people to, you know, kind of come to grips with what I think you and I both call alcoholism. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing is with antabuse, and again, I, you know, look, I'm not a doctor, we're not doctors, so mm -hmm. we're not prescribing or doing anything like that. Uh, this is just our opinion of being sober and helping and watching other people get sober, is that, you know, antabuse, you know, takes people that are fearful, mm -hmm. uh, that have a medical condition that if they drink again, something's going to happen to them, probably bad, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then putting more fear in that if they were to actually drink, and succumb to, 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 to drinking, they'll get violently ill 
Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like the model of that in general. I think there's a better model, not to say that the drug doesn't work. I've, I've known people who have taken it and it's gotten them through a period, you know, but I think long-term, if you're looking at alcoholism as a mind situation, Mm -hmm. right, it's a thinking issue. There's something about us. And also the spiritual component. We know that the, you know, Christina, I think we would, we would make the statement definitively here that I have seen more people get sober long-term and recover from chronic alcoholism through a spiritual component, right? For sure. Uh, More than anything that I've seen in the medical community. And then there's also the physical allergy of alcoholism. Now I have to be honest with you. I I don't, I I find that I find this hard to believe that this drug it's disulfram is that <laughs> yes i don't know Disulf- why, why can't they just call it like acme three or something <laughs> why, do, why do these drugs i don't have know have such long names i have a special affinity of mispronouncing pharmaceuticals but i, I yeah i don't know um well, I feel very strongly, I think in the same way that you do, that this may give people false hope that they don't have to necessarily do the work, that this will cure. And like you said, once we put down the drink, that's just the beginning. You know, we have to have physical sobriety in order to do the work, but the work has to happen. And you know, what's interesting when you think about the different models and you've been around chronic illness in other areas, they are realizing, and there are tests, we've reported about them on the show, where they understand that to recover from many chronic illnesses, there needs to be a spiritual component. Yeah. And it does. We know, even if you don't believe in the whole higher power concept, we do know that your brain, as far as neuroscience, lights up in certain yes. areas, right? So even if you are, uh, you know, uh, agnostic or an atheist or any of that, uh, knowing that, you know, something obviously physically is happening to us. I think, you know, Christina, I wanted to dive into another component about okay. this drug, right? Because I, I, I think that I, I think that this is interesting. I think there's a misinterpretation, too, about uh, uh, about alcoholics when they drink, mm-hmm. uh, and the effects, the physical thing that happens to somebody who is an alcoholic is a little different than somebody who is just addicted to something, right? Alcoholics. And, you know, and, and I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, and I'm sure if you're listening to this guys, you know, uh, on the replay comment here in the notes, cause I want to hear your thoughts. But alcoholism becomes worse when you get sober, in my right. opinion. You you actually get sobriety at first without some sort of solution, right? Yes. Some sort of thinking solution or a 12-step solution or a therapeutic solution. It gets worse. The alcoholic gets worse. Whereas somebody who suffers from addiction, let's just say that they became addicted to pain pills mm-hmm. um, and they get you know sober from those pain pills. They might not take pain pills again, but they're not necessarily an alcoholic or a drug addict. Does it? Does that make sense? Kind of. Yes, and I think that there are people that push away from that. Um, so I'm glad that you're sharing. You know what you feel. I I do know for me personally, and for many of the people that are in the recovery community it did get worse. The symptoms, alcohol was actually the solution that helped with the extreme anxiety and the extreme fear. It really actually wasn't the source of it. The ism was there long before you put alcohol into your body. 
And then the question is with this whole thing, like we talk about this in a recovered life show constantly, this mm -hmm. idea of stacked addictions, this idea of trauma, does this drug address that? And I, I, no. I would say, I don't know how it would, right? So if you're not really getting at the root cause and you're taking this drug maybe to get off of alcohol, the physical dependence of it, I could see this. But when they make this claim of uh, cures alcoholism in this article, and I, and I don't think that they're making that 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 claim in totality, meaning no. every form of it. They're just the physical sorry. I, I find that super hard to believe. Right. It's sensationalism and it's, you know, the shortcut, just like any kind of idea that you'll be able to drink again normally. It's certainly, I think it's certainly romancing this idea. And you've said it and I've said it. I never wanted to drink like a, a normal person. You know, that had no interest. I wanted to obliviate. I wanted to let go completely. And that had nothing to do with, you know, the drink that I was drinking. It was what was going on inside. And I think that, um, you know, people are still always going to look for that magic bullet. People are always going to look for the shortcut. And there is no shortcut when it comes mm -hmm. to truly recovering. There isn't. And, you know, and this is the thing, it, it has to unfold, right? Like, mm -hmm. and, you know, you're not going to get emotional sobriety and physical sobriety and everything just be by able to take a drug. Now, I will tell you the interesting thing about this article is it links anxiety mm -hmm. with addiction. And that I believe now, now we're talking, right? Like, yes. Because as we know, Christina, and you know, we've all seen it. And and this is a sad thing if you've ever been in 12-step programs. A, a lot of people that I've seen over the years, you know, I got sober in the early 90s. And I've mm -hmm. seen over the period of time that people come into different modalities to try to get sober. And that could be a meditation class, a yes. yoga class, right? Really a 12-step thing, anything. You know, the codependency groups, ACOA, all that stuff. I've seen more and more and more people come in with alcoholism, yes, maybe they're an alcoholic. Yes, they definitely have addiction problems, but they're really coming in trying to treat uh, a, uh, a a mental disorder of some sort, a, mm -hmm. a mental dis-ease, right? A personality disorder, yes. bipolar, uh, borderline, whatever that might be, right? Or have extreme anxiety or extreme yes. depression. And alcoholism kind of came in to kind of be the drug to help them cope with that. Yes, it was their first drug, right? It, or often, you know, maybe your second or third. It absolutely was the solution, and at least for me, and I think many people, was the solution to that. And so you take away the solution, that, that stuff just gets bigger and bigger. You know, the feelings get better. I remember being told, you will feel better. You'll feel angry better. You'll feel sad better. You'll feel yes. fear better. And that was true. And with a full rounded recovery program that not only focused on the physical parts of anxiety and the nervous system and worked on all that, I wouldn't have stayed sober. I wouldn't have been able to say I'm celebrating 25 years. I, I wouldn't have, nor would I have probably wanted that kind of life. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, where there, I do see the positive in science mm -hmm. is, is in reducing the uh, pain 
the yes. physical pain of addiction, because we know one of the things that's interesting is that when you take alcohol out of an alcoholic, they'll still have cravings mm -hmm. and you start to think, well, is this a medical thing? Is this, and you know, we've talked about the link of diabetes and sugar addiction and all yes. this stuff in alcoholism. And then in select groups of, of, of people where we've seen, you know, studies on people who maybe historically have had more alcoholism, you know, Irish, yes. uh, the Irish population, American Indians and stuff like mm -hmm. that being some sort of blood sugar issue that something's happening there that makes those cravings, you know, stronger. Right. And I, I think we even talked about that on St. Patrick's day, yes. the whole idea of that culturally being woven into that alcohol being woven into the whole society. Well, you know, it's nurture versus nature in many cases, you know, thinking about it and figuring it out. Um, I also know as an interventionist, we can trace it back to trauma which we discussed, you know, in one of the shows recently about how trauma is prevalent in, you know, many 80% or something crazy like that of acts. And so I don't know if we'll ever know, you know, what was discussed as the phenomena of craving, I'm sure they will have some kind of history, you know, with my son, we can look at genetic markers and see that with this genetic marker, they are this much more percentage wise prone to bipolar and addiction. And so I think eventually we'll be there, but I don't think it's all just a genetic thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things about this article is, you know, when we're talking about genetics, we're talking about anxiety and addiction. We're linking those together. I mean, I, I can't tell you the amount of people. This is just an unscientific, unofficial study, Christina. Right. I can't tell you the amount of people that I have met that have suffered from drug or alcohol addiction or codependency or eating disorders or sex addiction or any of those grouped addictions that also deal with chronic anxiety. Yeah. It's, I, I it's think isn't it shocking? I mean, really uh -huh. shocking. Like how many people like out nine out of 10, maybe I no, think, I, I think involved. 10 out of 10. I really do. Yeah. I really yeah, do. I'm being super conservative on that, but I think, uh, an overwhelming amount of people just are riddled with anxiety. And I just put up on the screen here, it says this is one of the first studies to reveal that DSF, the, the drug that we're talking about, exhibits anti-anxiety properties comparable to those existing benzodiazepines without exhibiting any side effects observed with benzos. And this, I think, is the good thing about this, actually, is yes. anti-anxiety things, right, that are not benzodiazepines. Because... One of the problems is, is we see that because of the lack of knowledge about addiction mm -hmm. is people will enter with uh, chronic alcoholism. The doctors will, of course, be concerned to say this person's going to kill themselves with alcohol. We need to use these drugs yes. to be able to get them off of it. Right. But really, one of the reasons why they can't really gain physical sobriety is they can't even work any type of program because their anxiety level is so high. They yes. can't really obtain that, right? right? So we see this a lot with people who relapse. It's the anxiety that is bringing them out. And then when the addiction and cravings come in, they're defenseless, right? And I and when the treatment is benzodiazepines, um, and I think benzodiazepines have worked successfully with a yes. lot of people with uh, that. So, you know, I don't want to slam those, but- they're, they're addictive, they right? Are. They're addictive and you have to step them up in a lot of cases. And, you know, um, 
you know, it's not, I don't believe if you're in recovery, that's necessarily a long-term solution. Is it isn't. It isn't for anybody long-term solution because you're still relying on something outside of it. So hopefully this is something that will kind of take away those properties and the allure of it. Look, if, if someone is having an anxiety attack and they cannot operate in their life, you know, and they take a medication to get them through a short amount of time, I think that's perfectly acceptable. I really do. You know, it's harm reduction. I don't want someone hurting themselves, you know, having the choice. But the danger of addiction with benzos is really, really high. And yes. we don't we don't grow out of it. That's the one thing that we have to remember. Well, we the thing is, is the recovery path, too, for people who have been, if you've ever worked with anyone who has a benzodiazepine, long-term benzodiazepine addiction, mm -hmm. um, it is incredibly difficult for them, right? Like yes. the Because those drugs cycle through your system for years, you know? Yes. Um, like, look, I was always told it's like, you're going to think like you were drinking mm -hmm. uh, maybe six months, you know, yes. a year well, past and in, you actually physically being sober. And in some cases, they leave you worse off than you were at the beginning. You know, you have an anxiety take, you take something that's fast acting. By the time it finishes through, you're actually more prone to anxiety after. So it's not a long-term solution. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of people that I've worked with that have made that switch into benzodiazepines to then mm -hmm. get addicted to those and yes. start seeking drugs, right? Doctor chasing and all that stuff. And the mind, what happens is it, 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 you know, in some cases, and again, I'm not a doctor, this is just what I've seen. I've seen it trigger with mm -hmm. people a, um, a phenomenon of craving again. Yes. Where they start making alcoholic decisions about chasing addictive things that come out of nowhere. Right. And mm -hmm. that is alcoholism. That's how I define alcoholism. Right. So it, what, what's interesting about this is that we're finding what works without, with people that are alcoholics in recovery and what doesn't. And I have to tell you, and we, we've had shows on this, that I've changed my opinion. Yes. about a lot of this, right? Over the years, I was very uh, anti any kind of drug for a long really? period of time. And then, yeah, you know, and because I think of just the people I hung around and also seeing it, right? And I think that that was a mistake. Having major anxiety for years in my recovery, just major anxiety, and then having to go through treatment on that and really address that. And right. then succeeding at getting rid of, I would say 80 to 90% of that anxiety, which was a huge, massive victory for me, right? In recovery. It is. Yes. Uh, I, I will tell you that uh, the battle with the anxiety was harder than the battle with alcoholism in a lot of ways. For sure. Um, because it was harder to put my my finger on it of where it came from. And just like alcoholism, I know, look, I didn't, I historically, genetically, like we were talking about, I'm pre, 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 uh, conditioned yes. to probably physically get into that. Right. Like, so, um, and I think it's the same with anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about that a lot. And I think those two components fit hand in hand. So you see a lot of people with chronic alcoholism and chronic anxiety. 
For sure. And the drug treatments, including alcohol, exasperate anxiety in many cases versus helping them. So it is something to take really seriously. And it'll be very cool to see as this is being developed, how our world of recovery and the uh, the world outside of recovery accepts it and, under and, you know, how they use it for people to have a better life. And final thoughts on this, Christina, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. You know, I think we're in a world of go onto an app and solve it in five minutes. Yes. Uh, you know, don't talk with a travel agent. Just go to the website and punch in some code, right? The quick pill that's going to cure everything that you've got. Anything, yes. any problem that you have, there's a pill out there that they're, that they're promising to solve it, right? Right. Um, without really kind of facing reality that you're not going to be able to solve everything instantly. This is one of, I think, this is one of the difficult things about people wanting to get sober, but mm -hmm. I think it's one of the beautiful things for the people that are sober and in recovery is that this isn't something you could just be done with No, and you take a pill and you move on with your life. And um, I'm glad for that. Uh, I, I'll tell you when I first came in, I wasn't, but sure. I'm, kinda, I'm glad for that. I agreed, agreed, because the beauty that's in the journey as we keep going, you you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss the growth, the connection. And, you know, speaking of, you know, going on an app and booking something and not talking to a human, that is not healthy for our world. We have just finished, uh, you know, two years or we're on the way to finishing two years of isolation. And we are going to see how unhealthy and unhappy that makes our world. So the connection that's necessary to recover is a gift, a complete gift. Yeah. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, I've had these, these conversations with people that work in more industrial recovery, like they're trying to get, you know, nonprofits and Really yes. helping a tremendous amount of people and then also politicians. And, you know, I always say that the, the, the biggest bang for the buck in any recovery treatment is peer to peer support. It's a community. Mm -hmm. It's building that community because without having that community, you're not going to be able to get sober. And this is the thing we've seen the rise of alcoholism during COVID. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm telling you, uh, what a great marketing thing, a drug to cure alcoholism. No I kidding. Say, I don't know anyone that has not in recovery. That's an alcoholic that would say, yep, I'll take it. Right. Like, because, but, but the thing is at the end of the day, when I think about it, if I have to ask myself, if there was a drug that could cure alcoholism, would I take it? Well, irrelevant to me, I'm sober. Right. 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 But why, why would I want to? Yes. Why, why, why would I want to? I think it would be no for me. It, me too. Yes, me too. I wouldn't want to change the journey that I've had. And uh, that's hard to wrap your mind around it. But I can just tell you, stick with it. Stay with us. Trust the process. It is. It is. And I know people are listening to this probably going, what? That's crazy. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm going to do, Christina? This has been such a great segment. I'm going to put on the Recovered Life community. I'm going to put up a little poll. If okay. there was a drug to cure alcoholism, would you take it? Yes right. or no. I want to see what people have to say. And it's always interesting when we put polls up there because I'm shocked a lot of times. I realize sometimes it's like, oh, I'm not thinking like everybody else is thinking on this issue. Or, <laughs> wow, isn't it crazy that a, you know, hundreds of alcoholics would, would, would vote on something and it would all be very similar. 
Very, very true. Uh, and uh, I have found that that many of us feel the same way. I love the polls. It is. And, you know, every once in a while you have an outlier, but it's definitely interesting to see how much we are alike. And and I would love to see that poll. Great segment, Christina Dennis. Uh, we're coming back with another great segment in uh, just a few minutes here. But I did want to mention uh, before we go, we were talking about recovered life discussions. Mm -hmm. And this has been an amazing experience for both you and I, Christina. Um, we are doing four recovered life and soon to be five uh, mm -hmm. recovered life discussions a week at 9 a.m. And we host these on Clubhouse and then they're replayed on our podcast and then through the Recovered Life Network. Um, if you if you want to not just listen to the show, if right. you want to be part of the show, you want to interact with the show, this is the way to do it. All you have to do is go to recoveredlife.us and become a member. And this is a great thing. It's free, Christina. It's 100% it free. And it takes less than a minute to join. You'll be on there and you'll be interacting with Recovered Life contributors like Christina Dennis, like myself, and dozens of other experts that are on there giving their opinions, giving advice, and fellowship with other people that are in recovery. All you have to do is go to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. Christina, we got TGIF Sober coming, coming up. up after this quick break. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. Welcome back to our second episode, TGIF Sober. Before I get started, Damon, I want to let everybody know that this episode is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. Make sure to continue to like, share, follow, leave us a comment so that we can keep bringing information to the show that you enjoy, as well as visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can join the network, which is completely free, or leave a donation, which we fully, fully appreciate at info.recoveredlife.us. Thank you so much for mentioning that, Christina. Um, you ready? Friday is always one of my favorite uh, segments. Is yes. TGIF Sober. And just to set this up, if you're a new listener and you're joining us on YouTube, thank you. We would love it if you are on Facebook, if you're listening to this on uh, YouTube, if you're listening to this on any social media platform, how you can really help the show, how it really helps us is smash that like button, say, thank you. Like it, subscribe, hit the bell. If you're on YouTube, so you can get notifications when we put up great content, like we're about ready to talk about guys, uh, that really helps us out. We can't even tell you when you like, share, and follow us on social platforms, it tells other people just like you, hey, this stuff's good, and it's worth watching. It so is. It so is. And we really appreciate it every time you do. What did you think about this week? Friday, we're here. It's a good TGI week. Sober, the biggest uh, non-alcoholic cocktail party in Texas. <laughs> With Who actually, uh, you won't you won't leave with a hangover. You won't leave broken. You'll actually enjoy the people you talk to. So, right. What 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 did I think? Um, this is this was a hard week for me. I, I'm really? just gonna. Oh God, I I honestly, um, you know, I I kind of go into the last part of my week, uh, with this thing that I've done, uh, part of uh, recovered life called old school. Mm -hmm. which is, you know, for people who have long-term sobriety, 
and it's a men's group and we and we sit we talk about issues just like we do on the show here and uh i i just sensed last night even people got it they're like wow demon like you're really like you're hyped up this week i was it was a hard week for me really? what about you what about you what was your week uh i don't even good? want to share after that it was great it was a great week busy and, I'm glad and nice. for that. <laughs> it was it was really nice we had some wonderful discussions uh Tuesday, we talked all about in the neuro room about belonging versus fitting in. And that is so important. And I love that we have these discussions. Not only, you know, I'm at the age now where I can look back and remember there was a time where we didn't have it. And I think that people in recovery do understand the difference between belonging and fitting in. But it's, you know, it has a lot to do with my love of recovery from codependency and how much we need to belong to ourselves before we can actually belong to anyone else. One of the things that we learned that I learned, which is kind of counterintuitive, the more we belong, the more we can be individuals, which seems kind of interesting because you think of symmetry, you think of fitting in, you think of, oh, I'm gonna belong to this group that's gonna make me be like them. But actually as a human race, the more we know that we belong completely where we are, the more we get to be ourselves and be individual. And I just love the concept of really taking time to understand those words. And I think uh, people in recovery really feel this. You know, we don't feel like we belong until we find a place where we have people who are like-minded and struggle with the same things we did. Belonging is such a huge thing in recovery. Um... I think one of the things that everybody that has in common and, you know, look, texts like Alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous and even, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard this in other things like Dharma Recovery and definitely ACOA and mm -hmm. all these different organizations, right, is this feeling of not belonging, not mm -hmm. really being able to find your group, kind of being untethered, if you will. Yes. from a community of people that you can connect with. Now, this does not mean that you're not around other people or have friends. It's a feeling of non-connection, right? Yes. And, yes. and I think that that's prevalent in, especially when people come into recovery, is this feeling that they've never really fit in. Yes, and I'm glad you brought up disconnection because disconnection happens in all relationships. It happens all the time, you know, and disconnection, opportunities of disconnection actually bring opportunities of growth when you reconnect and you you double down in your intimacy and you figure it out. But chronic disconnection not only keeps us apart, but we start losing ourselves too because when you are connecting with somebody, you're learning more about you. And I think about how I was before codependency recovery and how disconnected I was to even who I, I am. And a lot of my spiritual growth has been around connecting with myself and being able to bring that to the table. Yeah. Well, the, you know, we were just talking about on that last segment, the healing really begins when the connection starts, right? Mm -hmm. So it is like we were just saying, one of the biggest bangs for the buck in any kind of alcohol or drug or codependency or any kind of addiction treatment is peer support. It's connection and building a community with people. You know, um, I, you know, I don't know if you felt when you were out there doing your thing, if you were a loner, if you felt mm -hmm. that you were a loner, right, yes. or somehow separated from what other people were doing. I did. Like, I was around a lot of people, 
towards the end of my alcoholism, you know, but I felt very alone. I felt like I didn't belong or I couldn't connect anywhere. It's so, I love that you brought up loneliness because uh, the, in that room, we discussed it and we will again this next coming Tuesday. Loneliness is a, a biological response. First of all, anybody who says they don't need other people, we have many years, thousands, millions of years of biology that says we must connect and be part of something. It's how we stayed alive. And in this day, it's how we actually have purpose to our life and loneliness. Now, I also was one of those people, I could be in a room of a hundred people and feel completely alone because I wasn't presenting who I really was. So this person that they were connecting with wasn't the real me. So deep down inside, I still didn't fit in, even if I was well-liked because I was putting on a show. I was being a chameleon for you. So if you really knew me, you would know that I don't have any value. Or if you, you know, if I ever gave you the opportunity of knowing me, then it was too scary and I had to cut bait and run. Well, hiding, you know, this whole idea of hiding and, you know, look, a lot of people with alcoholism, you're hiding the fact that you're having cravings, you're hiding the fact that the amount of uh, amount that you're drinking or using, right? Right. You're right. hiding this, right? So there's always this yin and yang of the of the just the here and now part of it, where you can't totally be honest and connect with people. Also, I do believe too, just the thinking, the obsessive thinking, allows us not to really have an opening, and that's really what I got out of the room when I listened to the replay of it. You know, mm -hmm. it's like. It's like people in people in recovery are so smart because yes. they're able to kind of verbalize how they've, even though they haven't felt it or felt like it, they've been able to make themselves accountable for building a community of people that bring connection that has nothing to do with thinking about themselves. Yes. And it's really, it's great because it really does come right down to that, right? The obsession of self, the self thinking mm -hmm. constantly going on in your mind, the committee constantly moving on the, on about what you have, what you don't have, what you need, how to get yeah. out of the present situation. Yes, yes. And and who you are isn't enough. That tended to be my theme of self-obsession, which prevented me from being useful. And one thing that we get taught in recovery is that being of service is one of the quickest ways to get out of pain. Now, I'm not talking about codependent service where we're trying to manipulate an outcome and that's why we're being of service, but truly being of service, being right-sized within a group of people is where you will find your belonging. And I think that that uh, I feel it, I know it, that the first year, that's what kept me sober, is knowing that I belonged and that people knew the, the obstacles I had, they knew the challenges I had, and they still cared for me. Right, right. That's really what this is about because um, it's finding that. Um, what else went on in your week, this, with, with, your, with your week? What else did you uncover or discard <laughs> uh, in your life that you just felt, what, what was your big aha moment? My big aha moment is that the the longer I'm sober, the more I realize that I am 100% responsible for my happiness yes. and that I cannot get out of the feelings because, you know, I think that, and I think a lot of people do this. One, we have this idea that we're supposed to know how to enjoy things, right? We're supposed to know yeah. how to relax. We're supposed to know how to be different, to be chill, and that it isn't a learned skill. 
And uh, what I continue to learn is that it is a learned skill because even though my circumstance, circumstances have improved, I still have this nervous system that needs to be addressed. I still have to take my medicine every day and show up and be willing to be responsible for my own happiness. And there's, I mean, that's life, right? Isn't that the lesson of life? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because Thursday in our unstuck room, we talked all about how to get rid of negative thinking. Really? It was all about this whole dynamic of, of kind of what you're saying about how we automatically click in mm -hmm. to there's not enough and we're not enough and, you know, and, and how that's still very prevalent negative thinking in people who are in recovery that have really amazing lives, right? Like um, I have an amazing life. I have challenges. I have struggles just like anybody else, but um, I have an amazing life, but yet I could click into this negative thinking mm -hmm. that is not helpful to me. It's not helpful to me. And the interesting thing that we got out of this room, uh, this discussion, Christina, was not only is some of the negative thinking not helpful, that's kind of a given. Most of the negative pe thinking that people had wasn't about things that were even real. Really? That makes sense. Yeah, it's resentments. It's mm -hmm. anger. It's about what people think is going to happen. It's future tripping. It's stuff like that. That's where the negative, the, these negative uh, outcomes are deriving from. And the reality of the situation is most of it's just going on in our head. Uncontested, yes. right? Yes. Until we really kind of work into the recovery side of it and say like, hey, you know, what's really going on here? with these feelings, why do I keep, why do I have these feelings of anger or mm -hmm. resentment or any of the things? Why am I, why am I always constantly thinking of the worst case scenario when really the data is out there that so many good things are happening in people's lives? There are. And you know, that's, that is kind of the human condition, negative bias, right? To keep us safe. We look for the danger. And if you have drank alcoholically or been addicted to drugs, you've probably had a lot of danger show up in your life. And so your brain is trying to do you a favor. It's being very efficient, looking for it. But what we focus on gets bigger. And I think that, you know, the, the act, the actual practice of gratitude, the actions that we take allow us to stay in the here and now. And in the here and now, most of us are always okay. And it's like this whole idea that I can preemptively feel feelings of disappointment before something even happens. It's ineffective, but it is human nature. And, and I, I do it too. For a long time, I lived my life waiting for the other uh, shoe to drop. And once I recognized that I was waiting, and then I went through the work of doing the grieving about times that had happened, you know, that other shoe had dropped. So I didn't make myself feel like I was uh, crazy. Mm -hmm then I could really separate what happened to me and look at today within this minute, I am okay. And well, recovery this, yeah, does absolutely. that. Absolutely. In this minute, I'm okay. And you know what? This is the big lesson. And you know, it's so funny that almost, you know, 25 for you. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think I'm coming up, you know, I'm getting closer to the 30 mark and mm -hmm. around the same amount of time. It's still to this day, uh, it, getting into the here and now, uh, solves most of my conflict, internal conflict, right? That I'm okay right here, right now. 
that most of the stuff that's going on when I have disease is things about what I think will happen or projections or things that aren't even real. Right. right. It might be, look, obviously, if you don't save, if you blow all your money and you don't have money for rent, obviously, that's, that's true. If you're at the 15th and you've blown all your money, you know that at the 30th, you're going to have to pay rent. Of course, there's there's things. But it's what that means. Right. Mm -hmm. Always to us. And we're, we're constantly. And this is what we were talking about on Monday, too, when we set our. Uh, when we set our week out with alcoholism, right? When we said, okay, like, how are we going to have our best recovered life? What are we going to focus on this week? It was to let go of some of that stuff, really dial in on what I want, right? Like yes. I found through my, through old school last night, we were talking, the whole topic was anger, Christina. It was about mm -hmm. how, you know, uh, how it was funny that most of the people, most of the guys in that room felt that the last thing that they wanted to do was be angry. Mm -hmm. Just that, you know, be an angry person, but most of them identified that a couple of days a week that they were walking around angry. Wow. So what we want and then what's happening and then the here and now it's all colliding and we're trying to kind of piece this all together, right? Absolutely. To make this, to, to, to live our best recovered life. Yes. I mean, the, and, and what's the, what is the solution? It is sharing about it. It is talking about it. It's not ignoring it. It's not pretending it isn't here. We're not talking about Pollyanna toxic positivity. When you say, you know, that uh, don't think negatively, but it's putting it in to context and right size. And if you can bring up, if I can bring up the positives and spend as much time on the positives as I do the negatives, I live a pretty darn good life. Well, this is the yin and yang because I think a lot of alcoholics have had to swindle their way through mm. drinking and using, right? So uh, it's there, most people that come in with alcoholism are very good at uh, ignoring reality, right. it could all be falling against it. And they're able to kind of piece together something. But yet when we're sober, we have a hard time reaching that important skill of saying, well, look at all this negative stuff, but let's create something positive. And I think this is really the, the pro in our coaching, Christina, is that, you know, we've been through all this, like we're not right. hiding it, that like recovery is hard 25, 30 years into it. It's yes. not always going to be sunshine and roses, Pollyanna, as you say, 24 seven. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's a lie. It's denial. And it exasperates the feelings that you're not willing to, but there is solution. There really is. Talk about it. Get somebody to help you be honest about who you are and what you're feeling. Make decisions based on your adult brain. You know, the one that you have actual, your prefrontal cortex that actually drives the show and everything will get better. Absolutely. You know, that is definitely the message that I had this week. It's like sometimes when you're going through painful situations, you just have to hold on. You, right? you just have to hold on and wait for something else to emerge. Christina, great TGIF sober, great show. Episode 104, really in the can. Um, I, you know, I did want to, I did want to announce really quick here uh, before we in uh, the show that we've got a lot of stuff going on in the recovered life community, but we have this free e-course that people are loving this can't say no thing mm -hmm. that you put out. And there is a special little gift at the end of it. Uh, not only is can't say no free, which mm -hmm. is a, uh, it's really a primer about how to set boundaries. And so many people that are listening to this might say, look, you know what? I have a hard time setting boundaries. 
you definitely want to check this out, guys. Uh, what you can do is you can go to info dot recovered life dot us and you could see a little link right there to can't say no so you guys take advantage of that info dot recovered life dot us click on can't say no and take that three-day challenge with christina and get that little free surprise gift yeah. that she's got at the end of it definitely i'd love to see you there just some really good information there good strategies things that we are maybe not taught and everyone should have that ability to say no so for sure, jump on that. Well, happy Friday, Chris. 2022 in the can. Everybody have their best recovered life. We'll see you live on Monday. All right. Bye, Damon. Bye, everybody. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.